Hey everyone, check out all the great deals on Amazon by first going to d2rpn.com and clicking the Amazon banner. By doing so, you're helping out the D2R Podcast Network. Don't forget to tell a friend and thanks for listening. If your guy or girl's got facial hair that's kind of not smelling right, not feeling right, not all that great, go to phoenixbeardoils.com today. We've got scents that every guy and girl will like. Every kid likes to play with your beard. Why not give them something to smell nice as well? Go to phoenixbeardoils.com and give somebody that great bird today. Question, comment, or concern? 872-242-8311. Or maybe you'd just like to hear your voice instead of ours. 872-242-8311. Then call the D2R Podcast Network hotline at USA Chat 311. That's 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. No matter the time or day, you can call 24-7 and operators will be standing by. 872-242-8311. Your call is important to us. 872-242-8311. So once again, USA Chat 311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. Short on time? Jump right in. Long on chutzpah. I don't know what that means. Anyways, we have a handful of things here. It's going to be a hodgepodge, as we like to say. It's uh, I've got four things set aside to get through in this episode. We'll see how we do. We normally do that and then get through one. Yeah. So um, it's going to be some videos we're watching and then we'll discuss and whatnot. Okay. Um, so you have one... Two, three, or four. Which one do you want to go? Let's with? go with the one that's on top. All right, go with one. Yeah. All right. So, 
Headline, Adrenochrome Ambrosia and How America Eats Its Young. All right, look into the decay of America's moral compass. Um, you recognize that? Oh, yeah. From Fear and Loathing in Johnny Las Vegas. Uh, Infowars reporter Greg Reese breaks down how the chemical compound adrenochrome is found in expired epinephrine pens or epipens. The two largest epipen manufacturers, Kaleo and Mylon, Mylon, happen to be connected to the Clinton Foundation. Mm. Reese also dives into the startup company Ambrosia Health that charges thousands of dollars to fill customers' veins with the blood of younger, healthier donors. This report highlights the multiple ind- industries creating a market for human blood, cells, and other compounds the elite seem to be obsessed with. Do I have your attention? Yeah, you had me in EpiPens because I have one. Okay, are you ready? Let's yeah. watch. Adrenochrome. Adrenochrome? Hmm. Adrenochrome first hit pop culture in 1971 when gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson wrote about it in his book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. He wrote that his lawyer, Oscar Acosta, was defending a Satanist who was charged with molesting a child. The Satanist client paid his lawyer with adrenochrome, and claimed the only source was the adrenaline glands from a living human body. If you search Google for adrenochrome, the Google-supported result is from the conspiracy wiki, which suggests that it is all merely fantasy. But just to the right, you will find that adrenochrome is real. According to scientific research, Adrenochrome is formed by the oxidation of its precursor, adrenaline. Adrenaline is the active hormone from the adrenal medulla, otherwise known as epinephrine. EpiPens are auto-injectors that contain synthetic adrenaline. Developed by the U.S. military to protect soldiers in the event of chemical warfare, EpiPens are used to treat extreme allergic reactions. EpiPens only have a shelf life of about 18 months. According to the manufacturer, after 18 months, the oxidation process begins and the EpiPens are turned into adrenochrome. I have some at home if you want some. Interestingly, just watch. Both companies that manufacture the EpiPen, Mylon and Kaleo, are connected to the Clinton Foundation. Ambrosia. A controversial new startup company was recently charging $8,000 to fill your veins with the blood of young people. Founder and CEO, Dr. Jesse Carmazin, who claims it will give you superhuman powers, has recently ceased patient treatments due to a recent FDA warning. In Greek mythology, ambrosia means immortality and was the food of the gods that gave longevity or immortality to whoever consumed it. It is believed by many researchers to represent the blood of the young. The cosmetic industry has been using aborted fetal tissues in various anti-aging skincare products. The taboo culture of consuming the young seems to go back through all of human history. But now, it seems to be coming out into the open 
Democrats are pushing for full-term abortions. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mothers. And telling us that the future is too grim for us to think about raising a family. There's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. Is it okay to still have children? How far is this going to go before humanity has enough? For NewsWars.com, this is Greg Reese. Okay. Thoughts. So, Adrenochrome... Now, you have EpiPens that will eventually turn into, if they haven't already, they already have, basically yeah. adrenochrome. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this kind of combines shit that we've talked about in the past. If people that are listening to this haven't listened to other episodes where we've kind of talked about this. But there's this whole thing about how the elites, like, they sacrifice children mm-hmm. and drink their blood and eat them and all eat this. Them, this yeah. whole thing with Hillary Clinton and supposedly this video that exists of her, you know drinking and eating a kid with uh, Huma Abedin and all this bullshit. We don't know if that's true because we've not seen the video, but let's just say hypothetically this exists, Mm -hmm. and this is what they do. It's clear this is what's happening somewhere at different places, whether it's the elites, whether it's Hillary Clinton or not, but uh, that whole, like, connection to that Ambrosia Health and the Clinton Foundation is an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, All this controversy with the Clinton Foundation, you know, and the... The kids in Haiti, how the lady that there was some lady that was fucking representing um, the Clinton Foundation or something like that. She was like got caught trying to smuggle kids out of Haiti. Like, what the fuck are you doing, lady? Right. Uh, and all this shit. So there's lots of interesting little bits and pieces, but you can't definitively tie Hillary Clinton or these elites to drinking blood and all this shit, but there's all these little hints that say, you know, kind of like the whole R. Kelly thing, there's all this shit, and it all kind of makes sense to this one thing, but you can't just definitively prove, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, But it looks like what you start to think. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. so they're, like, addicted to this. Um, You take this adrenochrome, and it, like, you know, makes you fucking, like... It's energy. It's basically adrenaline mm. that you're 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 giving somebody. So if I just pumped you with energy, like instead of drinking like a Starbucks coffee or, or a pop, it's kind of like a drug where like speed. I, I give you this and you're fucking wired. You're awake. You're fucking. You feel young. Whatever. Even though as soon as you come down off that, you're like old decrepit. Now look at uh, go back to the debates. Remember how we used to hear like you wouldn't hear anything from Hillary Clinton all week. And then the day of the debate, she's fucking out there moving around mm-hmm. like whatever. Mm-hmm. But you hear the rest of the fucking time she's in a wheelchair. She can barely fucking move. She's right. all the. Well, let's just say they're not pumping her full of this shit hours beforehand. And this is how she's able to fucking right. act like whatever. So and then why are the all these like, uh, you know. Once the once they can't get it anymore because all the child traffickers that have been stopped and and arrested they've shut down a lot mm-hmm. this trump administration have you know just go google child trafficking arrests and and then just look at the fucking amount of articles there's tons 
It's all crazy, across yeah. the yeah. world. I mean, yeah. look at how the Catholic Church has pretty much been dismantled with their... I mean, this has all happened specifically in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Just look in the last two years how much... So they've cut down on a shit ton of it. Well, that means you're not getting the amount of kids that you were. Your WikiLeaks have been exposed with Podesta and all this shit. This is what they do. This is what they're addicted to, this adrenochrome. That's why Trump's bad, because he's fucking... He's stopping, stopping a lot of these... It. Modern day equivalent of vampires. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're not walking up and biting a neck like what they show in movies. They're not but this is a modern day shit. vampire mm-hmm. society of elites that they sacrifice kids for their fucking god that they believe in or whatever. That's not the same god that most people believe in. Right. Uh, and then they drink the blood and they eat these things. This is they're insane people. Yes. Yeah, and and when you're addicted to something, Dave, you know this. When you're addicted to something, what, at what lengths do you go to? Okay, now, it's different because what you were addicted to, you could get legally. You could go to the store and buy it. Nobody mm-hmm. was going to stop you. Now, let's say you're addicted to something that required you to literally, the only way you can get it is from a human being that the only way you're getting that is if that person's dead. I mean, or crack. That's illegal. Right. You're addicted to crack. Uh because of the drug, you've now lost your job. You have no income. I mean, it's well known that crackheads will like offer to suck off dudes for whether you're a male or a female that's addicted. The point is, you're, you have an addiction so extreme that you're you'll do, do just anything. about anything. And, okay, and there's no just about. Most people that are di- like severely addicted will do anything and everything they can to get yeah, their drug, including probably murder. Mm-hmm. Okay, to get their fix, right? Yep. So now. Take these insane fucking elites that are addicted to this, and you take away their their ability to get it. Yeah. Why do you think they're out there now literally saying we want to have post-birth abortions, celebrating it? Well, what can you get with a post-birth abortion? A baby to eat and drink. Well, not only that, Dave, you can you can get the blood from that baby. Mm-hmm. You can get the adrenochrome, mm-hmm. but you can also sell the fucking organs for a ridiculous amount of money. It's yeah. a win-win-win. You take the skin. They, it's already well known they take baby skin, aborted baby skin, and put it into makeup. Mm-hmm. And if people don't believe that, Google it. Yep, look that shit up. Okay. It, it, it's a real thing, and that's been going on for years. Many makeup companies. Years. And yep. this is why uh, there's all these makeups and solutions and shit that uh, make your skin look younger. It's it's youngifying. The more you use this, the younger your skin will look. You'll prevent wrinkles and all that. It's because it's baby skin put into the fucking... They grind it up into mm-hmm. powder, and it gets put in the makeup. It's insane, Dave. And then, but there's big money in... in um, Human trafficking. Well, no, the... the uh, Organs. Yeah, that too. That you can, there's actual websites that exist where you can, let's say you're in need of a fucking new liver. You can, I don't know if you specifically, you, but you, like your doctor or whatever can access these websites. They have, they, well, they exist where, you know, there's, there's an organ donor. You can bid. You know, everybody assumes, well, you go on a list. And when it gets down to you on the list, then you get that, you know, the next person that gets in a car accident is a vegetable and they want to, they're an organ donor, so you know they pull the plug and the organs going to you or whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. well you can also bid on organs. You can, like, four people die in a car crash today. They all happen to be organ donors. Well, well we have the four of all these organs, so highest bidder gets it. 
So fuck your list. It's whoever's got the most money right now yep. who gets it. Yep. Okay. That exists. It's not bullshit. It exists. Yep. You can bid on the fucking organs if you need an organ. All right. Think about the amount of money. Now, if you can just take it from a baby mm-hmm. that that parent doesn't want. It's insane. We just played the clip of the fucking governor of Virginia, the same guy that was in blackface in his yearbook and in a KKK outfit. He's saying we're going to we're going to keep the baby comfortable. We're going to resuscitate it if we need to to keep it alive just long enough to get the fucking organs sold mm-hmm. to the highest bidder. It's a big money man, and and they're getting their adrenochrome out of it. That's insane. The whole fucking thing is insane. But this is your current day left. Well, our our society is so bad we shouldn't have children anymore because they're just yeah. And you got that bitch saying that. Yeah, it's only bad because of people like you. Yep. You know. Yeah. So this is there's there's an interesting uh, dynamic here uh, that's happening in this country and and fucking crazy, dude. I don't understand how people are so fucking insane and just don't like see it. Anyways. Um, well, because you know we gotta watch the sports and, and fucking uh, live, Facebook live shit. You know, uh, I can't. I can't follow. I can't listen. That's that's all garbage. I don't have time to look stuff up because I'm too busy stuffing my face with stupid shit. If people did five fucking minutes of goddamn research, they mm-hmm. they would it would change their whole fucking outlook mm-hmm. on everything. But this is what's happening. So once again, this is America today. It's crazy. So that's adrenochrome. If you don't buy it, fucking. Look it up for yourself. Everything I just said, look it up for yourself. It's insane. It is. Now what do you want to go with? Two, three, or four? Uh, let's go with three. Okay. You remember Paul Harvey, Dave? Yep. Everybody knows Paul Harvey. If you don't know who Paul Harvey is, Paul Harvey was a radio uh, uh, what would you, radio personality, I guess you could say. And um, he uh, he's the guy that he would tell you an interesting story in the morning on your way to school or work. Yep. And then on your way home from work or school, listen to the radio, you'd hear the the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Most people wouldn't know that. You know what I mean? Some yeah. people, like really young kids, probably don't know that, never heard of that. But most people know who Paul Harvey is. Anyways, uh, so this is Paul Harvey, If I Were the Devil. Okay. Um, Paul Harvey predicts the future with the radio piece from the early 90s. Um Alex Jones rounds out the radio excerpt with a bit of his own version of If I Were the Devil. Um, so now there's two here. I, one of them's his. I think this is the original. And then this is the updated version. But it's basically showing how... Um, do you want to watch both? Or do you want to watch just the... Do you have time for both? How long in there? I don't. I think maybe like four minutes. Something oh, like then that. yeah, we, got, we can do both. Let's do both. See the difference. All right, so... Yeah, what's interesting is, so he did this in the fucking early 90s. Well, it says Paul Harvey's 1965 warning, but I think in the early 90s somebody made a video to it with the current day. And then, a current day meaning the 90s, and then they've taken that speech again and put it towards what's happening today. Okay. Um, and it, it gives you, an, uh, shows you real close, like, well, let's just watch. Let's watch the, I think this is the original. Eight minutes. This might be the actually the the newest one. I don't know. We'll watch this one and then we'll watch the next one and see. They might have just put this bumper on the front of it. Infowars. Tomorrow's news today.
Paul Harvey, one of America's oh, he's going to set it up. Okay, but also poets and just this is worth a watch. I word, guess. folk heroes is a hundred years old today, and we're celebrating his birthday. Paul Harvey died ten years ago today at ninety, but today his spirit is a hundred years old. Now, this is serendipity or synchronicity or, or providence. About a week ago, one of our great researchers and video editors, Jeremy McBreen and I, were talking about how this is a real fight between good and evil. And I said to Darren, I said, we need to illustrate that. And he said, I have an idea. Let's take Paul Harvey's famous 1960s, if I was the devil speech, and let's put it to what's currently happening. And so literally 20 minutes ago, before we went on air, I said, you know, when did he die? He died like five years ago. I want to talk about Paul Harvey. This video that Darren McBreen put together is so powerful. One of the most powerful things we've ever put out, literally. I said, he died like five years ago. And, and Darren pulls it up and he goes, oh, my God. He died 10 years ago today. The Satanist and the devil may control Hollywood, and they may control the Federal Reserve, but they don't control the real universe and how God works. And Paul Harvey was a good man, and so is his family and the work they've done. And so Paul Harvey's still alive. He's with Christ today. His spirit's gone on to the next level. Speaking to God all of a sudden. I never really paid attention to that. But it's just another yeah, it's sign. Quite a bit more in the, the recently. The that makes sense. The You'll see. The providence, the manifest destiny of liberty and freedom. And so I'm going to air this piece, and I'm going to post it at InfoWars.com. You can repost it anywhere, promote it however. But whatever you do, get it out to folks, because this is a fight between good and evil. Paul Harvey's not dead. His soul and spirit lives on, and his ideas in this realm live on and are more prophetic and poignant now than they were back in 1960s when he first said these words. We salute the work of Paul Harvey and all their patriots that love justice. We're so glad his voice is alive with us today. So here it is, Paul Harvey. If I was the devil. Hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. If I were the devil. If I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The... So I set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of the serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me. Our Father which art in Washington, 
And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flame. The president of the United States is racist. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect the discipline emotions to run those run wild. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. I would caution against extremes. I'm here to warn people. You keep telling me to shut up. This isn't a game. In hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. The rest of the story. What do you think about that? Thoughts, as they say. I have heard that before. Yeah. Well, it's famous. It's a um, famous thing yeah, that he yeah. did in the 60s. Um, but to be put to the the video yeah. that we just watched, which I think this here is just the video of that. So we watched the setup okay, yeah. of it. You know what I mean? I think that's the difference. I don't think we have the original... Yeah, I don't think so either. But so we could have just watched that, but the setup kind of sets it up, so Yeah. Um It's it's crazy because we've been talking about that for a long time that everything that's happening is happening because of the elite, you know. The those that are in power are I mean, look at separation of church and state or not church and state, uh, separation of the they're dividing the country, you know. Um, they have taken God out of a lot of things. You know, they, they were, I don't know if you've seen, um, God is not dead too, probably not. Um, but God is not dead too. There's a part in there where a bunch of pastors are having breakfast together and one comes in and he's like, I just got off the phone with, you know, so-and-so, our buddy pastor, he just got a subpoena. He is supposed to turn in the last three months worth of sermons that he preached at all of his churches. And or all of his services, and the, the government is subpoenaing all his records. And they're like, they're going to try and tell us what we can say and can't say in ch- our own churches. No, they can't do that. And they all agreed that they're going to do it because it's a legal subpoena. And the one guy says, "I'm not doing it," and I'll write a letter for why I'm not doing it. There's no, they have no governing control power over me. I'm not going to do it. And so it's interesting that in that movie they talked about it. And that movie's I don't know, we'll say five or six years old. Um, 
but I could see them trying to dictate what they can and can't say in church, which it shouldn't be, you know. Um, in that movie, too, they talk about what George Washington said about separation of church and state is being so misconstrued and twisted and taken out of context, you know. What he originally meant when he wrote that to, uh, I think, a reverend or a Baptist minister or whoever that he sent it to, he said, don't worry, we will never tell you, we will never control what you talk about. You're, you have freedom of religion, you can worship how you want. We will never, the, the separation is we will always let you do your own thing, we'll leave you alone, so we're going to separate that. And now it's like, oh, you got to take all God out of all government stuff, you can't do that. That's not what, they, that's not what he said, that's not what he meant. Look at it, it's the Pledge of, the Pledge of Allegiance. we fucking one nation under God. It wasn't originally that, though. They changed it to that. Did what you was it originally? Um, hang on. One nation under liberty? Well, the, the, I think, I, oh, maybe, maybe, uh, no, hang on. Maybe it was, there's something to that. Either originally it was gone and they have taken it out, or originally it wasn't and they added it in and then now have tried to take Damn it out man. again. It's out now, isn't it? Hang on. Well, what's interesting is it used to be able to, you used to have to say that every day at the beginning of class yep, in school, yep. and now they don't say it. And if they, uh, let's see, there's something I, I heard, of, uh, let's see here, it was originally composed by Captain George Thatcher Balch. Uh, in 1892. All right, there, 3.1 edition of Under God. Okay, so let's see. Pledge allegiance to the flag. I pledge, let's, let's, let's say it, Dave. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands in one nation under God individual. So originally, or at one point it was for which it stands one nation indivisible with liberty. So the under God part was added, uh, or was original and removed. All right, changes. Where's the, okay, Here. addition of under God right there. So, let's see. It's a lot to read. I hammer through it though. Lewis, Lewis Albert Bowman, an attorney from Illinois, was the first to suggest that the addition of Under God to the pledge, the National Society of the Daughters of the American Revolution, gave him an award of merit as the originator of this idea. He spent his adult life in the Chicago area and was a chaplain of the Illinois Society of the Sons of American Revolution. It's a long fucking name. Mm-hmm. At a meeting on February 12, 1948, he led the society in reciting the pledge with the two words Under God added. He said that the words came from Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, although not all manuscript versions of the Gettysburg Address contain the words under God. All the reporters' transcripts of the speech was delivered as delivered due, as perhaps Lincoln may have deviated from his prepared text and inserted the phrase when he said uh, that the nation shall under God have a new birth of freedom. Bowman repeated his revised version of the pledge at other meetings. In 1951, the Knights of Columbus, the world's largest Catholic fraternal service organization, also began including the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. In New York City on April 30, 1951, the Board of Directors of the Knights of Columbus adopted a resolution to amend the text of their Pledge of Allegiance at the opening of each of the meetings of the 804th degree assemblies of the Knights of Columbus by addition of the words under God after the words one nation. Over the next two years, the idea spread throughout Knights of Columbus organizations nationwide. On August 21st, 1952, Supreme Court Council of the Knights no, of... No, the Supreme Council. Oh. Oh, did I say Supreme Court? Mm-hmm. The Supreme Council of the Knights of Columbus at its annual meeting adopted a resolution urging that the change be made universal and copies of this resolution were sent to the president, the vice president, as president officer of the Senate, and the Speaker of the House of Representatives. 
the National Fraternal Congress meeting in Boston on September 24, 1952, adopted a similar resolution upon the recommendation of its president, Supreme Knight Luke E. Hart. Um, several state fraternal congresses acted likewise almost immediately thereafter. This campaign led to several official attempts to prompt Congress to adopt the Knights of Columbus policy for the entire nation. These attempts were eventually a success. At the suggestion of a correspondent, Representative Louis E. Uh, Rebo. That's a C, but that's okay. Huh? You said Louis E. It's Louis C. It doesn't matter. Go on. C. E. Well, I must have dropped this part of my... Louis C. I think I meant to say that. Uh, of Michigan sponsored a resolution to add the words under God to the pledge in 953. Before 954, no endeavor to get the pledge officially amended had succeeded. The final successful push came from George McPherson Dockerty. Or Doherty? No, it would be Dockerty, right? That should be Dockerty, yeah. Uh, some Americans' presidents honored Lincoln's birthday by attending services at the church. Lincoln attended New York Avenue Presbyterian Church by sitting at Lincoln's new pew on the Sunday nearest February 12th. On February 7th, 1954, the president, with President Eisenhower sitting in Lincoln's new pew, the church's pastor, George McPherson Dockerty, delivered a sermon based on the Gettysburg Address entitled A New Birth of Freedom. He argued that the nation's might lay not in arms, but rather in its spirit and higher purpose. He noted that the pledge's sentiments could be those of any nation. Quote, there was something missing in the pledge, and that which was missing was the characteristic and definitive factor in the American way of life. He cited Lincoln's words, under God, as defining words that set the U.S. apart from other nations. President Eisenhower had been baptized by Presbyterian very recently, just a year before, he responded enthusiastically to Dougherty in a conversation following the service. Eisenhower acted on his suggestion the next day, and on February 8, 1954, Representative Charles Oakman introduced a bill to that effect. Congress passed the necessary legislation, and Eisenhower signed the bill into law on Flag Day, June 14, 1954. Eisenhower said, From this day forward, the millions of our school children." Millions of our schoolchildren will daily proclaim in every city and town, every village and rural schoolhouse, the dedication of our nation and our people to the Almighty. In this way, we are reaffirming the transcendence of religious faith in America's heritage and future. In this way, we shall constantly strengthen those spiritual weapons which forever will be our country's most powerful resource in peace or in war. The phrase under God was incorporated into the Pledge of Allegiance on June 14, 1954 by a joint resolution of Congress amending four of the flag code name and enacted in 1942. Uh, on October 6, 1954, the National Executive Committee of the American Legion adopted a resolution first approved by the Illinois American Legion Convention in August 1954, which formally recognized the Knights of Columbus for having initiated and brought forward the amendment to the Pledge of Allegiance. Even though the movement behind the behind inserting under God into the pledge might have been initialized, initiated Jesus Christ, <laughs> by a private religious fraternity. And even though references to God appear in previous versions of the pledge, historian Kevin M. Krauss asserts that this movement was an effort by corporate America to instill in the minds of the people that capitalism and free enterprise were heavenly blessed. Krauss acknowledges the insertion of the phrase was influenced by the pushback against Russian atheistic communism during the Cold War, but argues the long, longer arc of history shows the conflation of Christianity and capitalism as a challenge to the New Deal played by the larger role. So, all that being said, it wasn't originally in there. Yeah, I see And that. then it was added. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, does it? I mean, does it matter? Here's the thing. What I think we we kind of got off on a jag there. It's not necessarily about because that was just a small piece of that is removing God from uh, everything. Yeah, no, no. I was, I was just I was, like, it's part. still on our money. Eventually, right. it will be removed oh, from yeah, our money. Be, yep. But they're going to remove our money, and everything's going to go to cashless society, anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everybody uses a debit card. Who uses cash anymore, really? You know what I mean? I do. You do. I mean, there are people that do, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, think about if we didn't have debit cards. Everybody would still be using cash. Yep. But how many times a day do you swipe your card as opposed to using cash? It's like 50-50 depending. For you. I'm talking about most people. Yeah. Most people are like 99-1, you know? Yeah. I mean, I never have cash. So, but once again, a small portion of this this video is that. No, I know, I know. All the other points, you could literally stop it every two seconds and Mm -hmm. discuss each thing, and it could be a fucking two-hour analyzation of this video. Um, What I would say is have people go look this up. Go to uh, InfoWars and type in Paul Harvey, and you'll get the link right there. If you just... All right, if you go to InfoWars, right at the top, there's a search, and you put in there Paul Harvey and search it. You can watch this video for yourself. It's worth watching because even though Paul Harvey's saying it and everybody heard it, you should watch the, the, the visuals yeah. of it are are showing you how they're literally everything is is happening. So, if you want to look at where we're at in the world today, and and you you buy into the good versus evil, let's say they're that's what it is. Because I've debated on here think tanks, religion, mm-hmm. and all that. Or at least uh, belief in religion with Maya. You can go way back to that if you want to hear it. Right. Now, um, if there is this giant battle, good versus evil, and it's all happening right now and that's just what it is, it makes a pretty valid point of what you would do if you were the devil and you were trying to take this, say, good society of, of things and make it bad and showing you in this video exactly like what he's saying from 1965, what you would do if you were the devil and you're trying to turn everybody into pieces of shit and horrible human beings and, and make this world a shitty place. And then in the video it shows each one of these things being done mm-hmm. current day, like yeah. right now within the last, I don't know, five years. Yeah, not even, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty interesting. And, you know, we can save the, you know, a, a religious debate mm-hmm. for another time. Mm-hmm. But it's very compelling and, um, you know. I don't know. I'd I would uh, I'd be curious to have that conversation again, that debate again on religion. Um not saying that I would take a complete different stance now, but I do think there's something to this. Mm-hmm. And but I guess ultimately my debate before with with Maya was that what makes you so sure that you're right? 
just, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that pretty much my debate? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And he was, his whole thing was faith. It was all about faith, believing in something mm-hmm. that you can't prove or see or whatever. And, you know, my, my whole thing was the stance that I was taking was that, well, what if you're wrong? Why are you, you know what I mean? Kind of like that. I mean, you can go back mm-hmm. and listen to it. Um, but I think there is something to this. There's something, you know, I, I don't want to say that, uh, I was completely off base because I don't think I ever said that there is no God. I'm right. just saying no, that, that what's the, how can you be so sure? What if you're wrong? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It is what it is. But, um, so I think if we had that more of a discussion, not necessarily a debate, but I'd be more inclined to have this discussion on another think tank dedicated to people, maybe that are religious or aren't religious. Mm-hmm. Or have maybe a couple of for each side and have a big discussion about this, bringing this particular video into play. Yeah. Because to me, it's it's pretty compelling when you see it and, and make the comparison. But you could have probably done this in every decade, maybe. Taken this and taken what's happening then and put it to this video and fit it. But it makes you wonder. Because it always been going on that way, too. Yeah. It's just this is a current day version of it. Yeah. So well, has this always me- been a fucking battle of good and evil on this planet? Well, going with that, I would say yes, because look at even in talking about taking out the government, they talked about taking out fucking Kennedy, and that didn't happen recently. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was in the sixties, sixty three yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. and this was in sixty five when he did this thing. I mean, it makes it makes sense if you. No, has anybody has anybody gone and actually asked? I mean, granted, he's dead now. But has anyone talked to Paul Harvey since he wrote this or read this? Why he did it? Like, what, does, does anybody have any kind of back history of that? I have no idea, man. You know what I mean? Well, like, he's been dead for ten years, right? So, right. Somebody would have to have asked him, like, right when it happened, you know, or if he wrote a book about it or something. I don't know. I don't know much history behind it, other than I've heard it before. You know what I mean? Um, why, why, are you, why are you? Is Snopes uh, weighing in on it? Um, I'm gonna turn that down. Get some some feedback there. Some white noise. Um, I guess what I'm looking for is where he comments on yeah, his own speech. Any. I don't know. Because your fucking key, your arrow was right there, yeah. so I couldn't see it. Uh, yeah, I don't think we're gonna find it, dude. I'm sure somebody asked him about it at some point, and I'm sure he's. I mean, why did he? Why did he give this speech? I, well, I think he was he was trying to make a point. I mean, mm-hmm. why you would do anything? It's it's. I mean, I'm curious to read that one there. Friendly rebuttal. Where? Oh, right here? Yeah. From October 13th, 2013. Written by Anonymous. This is a guest post written by Anonymous. All right, well, let's read it, I guess. I'm curious. Uh, well, this here says by Hemant Meta. I think that's who posted it, but that's yeah. who wrote it. Um, note, among the many things conservative radio broadcaster Paul Harvey was known for was his essay, If I Were the Devil, versions of which you can see here. This piece is a rebuttal to Harvey's essay. 
if I were the Prince of Darkness, I would want to engulf the world in darkness of, if ignorance of ignorance. I would use this ignorance to cause divisiveness among men, and my success would give me control of every nation in the world. First, I would invent religion, not just one religion, but many religions, and I would delude the followers of each into believing that theirs was the one true faith. In so doing, I would promote an attitude among mankind that the followers of religious religions other than their own must do so only through ignorance or the primitiveness of their culture. And I would promote an attitude among them all that those who refuse to accept any religion are delusional, arrogant, or evil. Don't they already kind of have that? Look at the fucking... Was it? Is it the Muslims that kill you if you don't have the right fucking... The same fucking... Uh, yeah, that's their yeah. belief. It's yeah. an insane belief, too, by yeah. the way. And anybody that wants to argue that, you're equally as fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have families indoctrinate their children into their particular religion prior to an age at which the children would understand or question the concepts of that religion. Is this just all what he said, right? Yeah, this is the guy, basically his rebuttal to what... Yeah, see, he's basically just talking about the whole thing. Do you really want to read all this? I don't know. We don't have to. I'll look it up myself. And read where it. where are curious. we at? We're right here. Yeah. I would know that children are trusting of their parents and very few will ever consider that their parents could possibly be wrong about a topic of such consequence. I would have everyone believing that anything they ever experienced that might be beyond their personal understanding must be rooted in supernatural causes. With the cunning of a fox, I would make them believe that I was the creator of mankind, the earth, and the entire universe. I would have them believe that their achievements could only happen under my guiding hand, and that any tragedy that befell them happened at my will for reasons beyond their capability or need to understand. I would convince some of them that failure to worship and love me would result in their having an eternal punishment following the end of their already wretched earthly lives. Wretched, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, If religion were not fully sufficient to cause divisiveness between men, I would teach them to weave flags and create borders between lands, and I'd give those born within each border a feeling that they are more deserving of the resources within their own borders than those who aren't. I would fool some of them into including religious symbols or oaths into their currency and nationalistic pledges in such a way that any who took offense would be seen as unpatriotic. My closest disciples would work to pass laws subjugating all men who reside within certain borders to live according to the religion most prevalently followed within those borders. I would convince humanity that men who lived in earlier times were inherently wiser and more pure of heart. If some of the people began to study, unlock, and understand the realities of nature, I would have them branded as blasphemers. If these blasphemers attempted to educate others about the true nature of the universe, I would have any or have my disciples fight tooth and nail to stop them. If I were the devil, I would make men believe that they are superior to women, that work performed by a woman is not worthy of the same pay as that performed by a man, and that laws should, should be passed to deny women from controlling their part in reproduction. I would make humans think that they are my favorite form of life and that other animals need not be treated with respect or compassion. I would make euthanasia a crime so that I could enjoy watching the terminally ill writhe in agony or spend their final days in a drug-induced stupor. I would persuade people that sexuality comes solely from personal choice and that those who are not heterosexual are sinners and entitled to the rights of other citizens. Not entitled to the rights. Oh, sorry. 
Sinners are not entitled to the rights of other citizens. I would infiltrate the wealthiest of corporations and instill in the leader, in their leaders the idea that they and only they are entitled to live in comfort, and I tell them that those who labor on their behalf are not worthy of pay or benefits that would enable them to live without having to worry about having to choose between paying the electric bill or the water bill or between buying groceries or buying school supplies. I might even pose as a professional essayist and get paid to read my propaganda to millions of radio listeners in a neighborly persuasive voice. <laughs> That's an exact knock on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were the devil, I would do all of these things and more because I would take delight in the immeasurable suffering caused by ignorance and intolerance. But I'm not the devil, nor do I believe in the existence of such a hideous being any more than I believe in the existence of gods, unicorns, leprechauns, or dragons. And that's the rest of the story. Good day. Hmm. That's the end of it. Some of that stuff we do, we do now, too, you know. Well, I don't know if that's a rebuttal. I think it's, I mean, it's a bad choice of wording, but it was interesting nonetheless. Uh, it's, it's one of those things. I guess you can... It's kind of the the take of um, yeah. This is a friendly atheist blog, as what that came from. Go back, piece of shit. There we go. Um, the way I kind of take that one was almost like it was if I were God. Think so. It's taking the 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 opposite stance of everything that he's saying. And if I were the devil, well, if I were God, I would, you know, uh, convince everybody that, you know, there's a there's oh, a heaven there's and a one. hell. And yeah. and if you're bad on this planet, then you're going to go to hell. But if you're good, you get to go here. I mean, in that respect, you it's mm-hmm. so. This is the this is the interesting thing is you can take. You could bring an atheist, you could bring a a person that's a Satanist, you could bring someone that's super fucking religious, and then you could bring uh, someone like me who... Kind of agnostic. That's not going to take any side, maybe, or whichever one's the most convincing. And and then I don't know what you are exactly. I think you kind of maybe have the same stance. I don't know. It doesn't matter, but you take all these different sides and then you throw out this topic and... I would be curious to hear every angle here because you're going to have somebody that completely backs Paul Harvey's thing. You're going to have somebody that completely uh, disagrees with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, basically what I'm getting out of this whole thing is it's very, to me, it looks like there is some level of good versus evil happening here. Whether you want to believe in a god or want to believe in the devil or want mm-hmm. to believe in Anunnaki, whatever the fuck it is that God has started us all here, right. even the evolution take on things, the whole religious thing all comes back to control mm-hmm. and power and who's in charge and, and all this. Uh, but clearly there's something going on within our society. Is it okay to have post-birth abortions? Is it okay to... Go up and punch somebody that doesn't agree with you politically. Is no. it okay to do all these things? I mean, you can be a Satanist, or you can be an atheist, or you can be a uh, Bible thumping uh, Baptist, or you can be a pedophile Catholic. 
there is a difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And just because somebody doesn't agree with you doesn't mean you can go fucking punch them or kill them. Right, right. But then you can also argue, well, what about all these wars that we have? And this is kind of the extensive conversation I'd like to have with every perspective. Mm -hmm. We can have four perspectives and me. I want to put this together because I think it would be a fascinating podcast that could, depending on how long it goes, could be Satanist, though. I do. Do you? You know a Satanist. I do. I'm not going to put his fucking name out here. He's said it at a game night before. It's pretty uh, clear without saying a name. You know a Satanist. Cool. And he's admitted it. Hmm. He admits it, and he will be that representative here, because cool. I don't know anybody else that is. Um, but it will be an interesting... What, what the, the problem I'm going to have is finding an atheist, I think, and... Uh, it's it's finding an atheist. It's finding one of these like uber religious people that's not going to be so offended to be in a room with these other what they would probably call deviants. Um, I I think we could probably get Joy in here for that. Is she going to be able to debate though, like and yeah. have a conversation and not be so offended that they're going to walk out? Well, I don't need an R. Kelly. Yeah, no situation. She won't R. Kelly it. Okay. Well, I don't think she would do that, but I don't want somebody to start crying and shit like that. I don't don't want somebody that... Okay, I just want to make sure, because it's not... It's probably going to be... It's going to be heated. We're we're talking about a topic that is not something that people are comfortable with. Mm -hmm. It's going to be uncomfortable at times. Mm -hmm. Not intentionally, it's just going to be. It'd be like putting a, a lifelong Democrat and a lifelong Republican that will never sway from their political parties and saying, all right... All Trump's policies on the table, and right. and and try and prevent one of them from punching the other one. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to do. So we need to, it's, and I think it gets even worse when you come to religion. But I, to me, there's something to all of this. There's something about this. What if? And I pose this question: What if we're living in what they describe in Revelation of the Bible? This is the end times. This is as if you go back and read it, you can. I mean, you could do this at any probably point in time in 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 the world. Mm-hmm. Show the similarities between what they're discussing and in Revelation, and say that that's what's happening right now. But it's it's very strange. I would have never thought we'd be literally discussing post birth abortion. Yeah, it's fucked up. I'm not against abortion early term. I mean. I know there are people that are against it altogether, and that. But are we really discussing the baby is born and now we're killing it for for money and and to drink the blood? I mean, yeah, what the fuck up, is going man. on here? Yeah. How is that okay? It, it, and what person what, would vote for that governor for, for re-election? How has he not been forced to step down? Right. What the fuck are you doing? You have you have been done blackface and fucking KKK in your own fucking yearbook. Mm-hmm. How did you get elected in the first place? No shit. Well, where is he from? Virginia. Mm. It doesn't make sense, no matter no. how you look at it. No. Uh, I would like to know from somebody that is fully supportive of abortion. We're not talking the girl was raped, decided to wait till the yeah, ninth month, have the baby, and then when is it? Because okay, post birth abortion, Dave. Your your dad decides tomorrow. Well, you know what? Dave's really becoming a pain in the ass. I think I'm ready to have that abortion now. Right. Yeah, I'm 40 years old now. Let's kill me now. Yeah. 
That's okay. What what are our terms on these post-birth abortions? Why is the birth of a fucking baby now it's okay to have the abortion? At what point do we call it murder? Yeah, that's what it. That would be murder. That's not abortion anymore. That's a live, breathing baby that does shit on its own. That's they argue that well, that baby couldn't survive without the help of a the the mother's tit or whatever. Okay. Well, there's lots of people that can't survive now that are these millennials that can't survive now without their parents taking care of them. Mm-hmm. So should we abort all of them? Because that would solve a lot of fucking problems, in my opinion. I'm, I'm actually, I can kind of get behind that. <laughs> no, that's the point. So this is the debate you can have. Yeah, yeah. But I'd like to have all these different things. It's going to be interesting to put together. Mm. But I'm working on that. And yeah, I want to be a fly on the wall on that one. No, you're probably going to be part of it. I just don't know what stance you're going to fulfill. I'll fill the and agnostics. I, I, I don't want you to fulfill the, well, Dave, we didn't find somebody that's a fucking, this weird one over here. Can you do it? I know you'd say yes, and you could argue that. Mm-hmm. I don't want you. I want you to actually argue your own personal yeah, belief. i agnostic. Agnostic is? I, I, I believe that there's something, but I just don't know what. I don't know if it's okay. a god or. So you're going to argue the same as me. Pretty much. I'm kind of the same. Cause, All right. And that's, so I play moderator then. Yeah, you can play moderator and I'm, I'll argue your point and you can throw in extra points. All right. Yeah, so we, I, we, we I need, don't know what I believe. That's what it comes down to. And, is I and don't joys know. are religious, uber religious. Yeah. And if I can convince a pastor to come on, I'll do that. That would be interesting. Um, we, I kind of like religion, Maya's perspective. One religion though, we didn't talk is Jewish. We didn't talk about a Jewish person. Do they, are they that different than, I mean, uh, Here's the thing. This is what I don't want. It would be interesting, but I just don't want them in my house. Is a pedophile <laughs> Catholic that you know? What I mean, I, I would take a Catholic that's not a pedophile. Let's put it that way. That's like three of them, I think. <laughs> We're gonna have to find that one. Not necessarily Catholic. I want somebody that is. Any type. Well, you're anytime, Jewish. Yeah. I want somebody that is that fully 100 percent believes in their God. Mm-hmm. I, Catholic and Jewish, they have the same God. Do they? Yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't know much about. Jews. Maybe like a Muslim. But that's the other thing. I don't know if I want a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm being an <laughs> asshole. But I don't know if I want yeah, somebody yeah, that yeah. would, well, who's honest to God religion, because everybody in the room is going to disagree with that particular person, mm-hmm. but that's done by design. But I don't need that person saying, well, based on my fucking Koran here, I can chop all of your I heads off. all of you now. Yeah, my, because my guys are in the I'm going to literally truck. have to sit here with my fucking AR, you right, know what I mean? Right. And prevent that guy from freaking the fuck out. Right. Because he may not agree with Satan guy. Mm-hmm. Well, what we're trying to do is here is have a fucking discussion with all perspectives. Yeah, they need to be open-minded and willing to have the but conversation. But I would like to have somebody right. that's that's into Islam because they have a different god mm-hmm. than this the Jewish Catholic what's Christianity. So we want somebody from Christianity and Islam. Now, I don't need a Buddhist because we're not trying to fall asleep. But mm-hmm. maybe if we could find somebody that had that you know, that sense of things, but uh, to me, I don't think that's really going to matter into the debate. No, they're I too think peaceful. They don't really you care. need somebody that that is because here's my thing: if you believe in Satan and you're a Satanist, well, you have to believe in God in a way. But I think what, and I don't know exactly, but I think their take is that uh, Jesus fooled everybody. Jesus is actually the devil, and Satan is actually God. And they religion Christianity has twisted it. And got everybody thinking that Jesus is the good one, when in reality it's not. Hmm. Which, and I don't know if that's what it is. I think right. that's what it is. I've never. We have to bring that guy in here mm-hmm. and have them tell their side of the story, witchcraft, whatever. I'd be curious to hear their perspective. Right. Uh, 
I, I want to hear all these with all these different things, and, and it's going to get hated, and I, I guarantee you it is. Oh yeah, and it's it not always does. But but to me, there's a fascinating conversation that can be had here, and and I don't even know where that conversation will go. What yeah. I don't want is to have people swinging at each other or try and kill each other during or after. Yeah. Is it possible to have that? I think it is. Okay. Well, yeah, we need to put it together put it because people. Um, Hand me back my notepad. Sorry. Let's go to the next thing. Uh, let's see here. Time wise, all right. Uh, so need, let's do get need one or two. Rid of that. Let's get rid of that. We can figure that out. I think we have to do this one here. We'll save that. So I'm not giving you do, a choice on this oh, last one. I wanted one. to do four. That's longer. Oh, okay. That's why I'm. Right. We're, that's probably Damn one that that, first. that we'll do uh, by itself. Well, I didn't uh, think we'd spend this much time on Paul Harvey. Yeah, sorry. Either. So, all right. This one here. The headline is Mueller. You know who Robert Mueller is, right? He's the guy yeah. leading the. Uh, he's former FBI director. He's leading the Russian collusion investigation into Donald Trump. Yep. Well, not Donald Trump, but the fact that there was Russian collusion, which, by the way, it's come out that there is none. Anyways, Mueller, a journey to the dark side. You're going to find out some shit about Mueller here. That uh, and he's he's part of the Clinton team, right? Well, like he's about he's all friends with Clinton and Obama and all them. You're simplifying it. So take a peek into the former FBI director's extreme shady past. This guy is quite dirty, Dave. Uh, okay, hang good. on, it says Robert Barnes, the lawyer for the Covington Catholic High School MAGA teens. You remember that? Yep. Of the fucking Indian guys up mm-hmm. there banging his drum in front. Lays out the history of Robert Mueller's crimes and cover-ups for the deep state. Share this exclusive... Alright, now there's like nine fucking videos here. I don't know which one is the one that I wanted to play. Maybe this one's a think tank in and of itself, too. I wish we could see the time on this. NT hit play. 36 minutes. Okay, that's not what we want. That's the interview. I want the video. Oh, that one. That's also 36 I think that's the minutes. same fucking video. Why did they do Um. So that's that. That's that. Where's the... All right, so it, it must be in the 36-minute video. Hang on a second. I'm going to turn that down. Oh, I can't see the preview. Oh, that sucks. You know, sometimes you can see the preview. Yeah, yeah, that sucks, dude. Let's try this one. Here we go. Where's the fucking video of the, uh... All right. I think it is right at the beginning here. Then Turn it gets the into one. something. Hit pause on the other one, then, because the other one's going still. Is it? It was. You... No, I hit pause. Oh, did you? I didn't see you pause. All right. All right. Let's just go for a little while. I think it's right at the beginning here. The Mueller is no patriot. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Whitey Bulger had a connection with the FBI. He wouldn't think twice about walking into your living room and blowing your brains out. Commerce Secretary Ron Brown and 32 others were on a military plane that crashed today in a violent storm. State Department says Brown is missing and presumed dead. There are no known survivors at this time. There are no indications of a problem other than the obvious bad weather. We wanted to go to San Diego and find out what an FBI informant is doing uh, providing uh, cover and, and shelter for an, uh, a Saudi terrorist. 
and Mueller tried to stop him. He helped many of the key people that were connected to the Saudis and connected to the bin Laden family to escape the United States. We now have in this country what is a runaway investigation. It's spinning out of control. It's led by Mueller and his merry band of Trump-hating deep state sycophants. We're going to lose our entire culture and our society if we don't start standing up. I mean, there's no end to these crazy people. The truth is collateral damage. We caught him. We caught him. We exposed that this was yep. going on. If you look at Mueller's entire history, you see sort of the deep state fix-it man is the role that Mueller has played for the better part of three decades. Here's a guy who came from sort of the wealthy, affluent, old money families. So old money, it goes back to when New York was New Amsterdam. That's how far back his sort of old money, deep state ties go. So he goes to Princeton during the sort of the Ivy League peak days, part of the dining club culture there that's sort of like the secret societies of Yale and other places. Uh, goes from there, he volunteers to serve. Uh, as part of sort of the officer corps in, in Vietnam. It doesn't actually see any real problems or isn't harmed in any way, uh, which is sort of a habit of those sort of more privileged kids who go off to war somehow manage to come back unharmed and, and more frequently than not. Comes back, he uh, becomes a lawyer. Uh, he joins the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Northern District of California uh, and manages to work his way up uh, to, the, uh, to Boston. He becomes one of the uh, assistant prosecutors in Massachusetts. Well, it's interesting who, when he is at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the uh, District of Massachusetts in Boston, well, guess who they are supervising as a secret witness, as a secret informant, who they are covering for? Whitey Bulger. That's what puts Robert Mueller on the map in terms of the political space. He becomes one of the key people involved who helps keep four innocent people in a state prison in Massachusetts by covering for the fact that, in fact, Whitey Bulger was the was the mob boss, the Boston mob boss, who was responsible for the crime that those four innocent people were serving in prison for. Mueller parlays that successful cover-up of the Whitey Bulger criminal regime that was involved with the FBI in Boston uh, into a position under the Bush Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. He becomes one of the key people uh, there during key prosecutions, such as the prosecution of BCCI and the prosecution of Manuel Noriega. So BCCI was the money launderer's bank of choice. It had a former Kennedy attorney general who was one of their key bank private counsel. BCCI was where the drug dealers went. BCCI is where terrorists went. BCCI is where marginal political regimes that were under sanctions went. BCCI was basically the money laundering bank of choice for the world's rogues, the world's terrorists, the world's most violent criminal gangs and operations. It's what was crazy. key was that BCCI could implicate yeah, the CIA. BCCI could implicate high-ranking members of the intelligence infrastructure in the United States. BCCI could, in, could implicate high-ranking politicians, not only here in the United States, but other places in the world that were favorable to the intelligence and deep state infrastructure of America's political power hierarchy. And so that was where Bob Mueller stepped in again, the deep state fix-it bit. He made sure the BCCI case didn't go far afield. And you don't have to take my word for it. Just read what William Sapphire wrote about, who was a columnist for the New York Times, wrote about what Robert Mueller was doing as to the BCCI case when he was interfering with the ability of the New York prosecutor to meaningfully look into the case. The New York State prosecutor had been the long-term, long-time head of the New York District Attorney's Office for Manhattan. The guy that they built the show Law and Order was premised upon his legacy and his history was trying to meaningfully investigate the various criminal activities of BCCI. Who was interfering? Robert Mueller, the Department of Justice under the Poppy Bush administration. 
This was documented in detail repeatedly by William Sapphire on the pages of no less a publication than the New York Times itself. Despite this, the effect of it was that the BCCI case would never contaminate critical political figures in Washington or around the world, particularly those connected to corruption within our own intelligence infrastructure in the United States and in what's loosely called the Five Eyes in the United Kingdom, in Australia, and elsewhere. The Bob Mueller would then parlay, the, parlay that success into the manual Noriega prosecution. Noriega, the longtime dictator of Panama, uh, using his powers ahead of the military to effectively control its political process, killing political adversaries, uh, corrupting elections, uh, having people disappear who would say bad things about him, like call him pineapple face or things like that in a very high-profile public way, uh, who was the main drug runner's uh, choice of political operative, that there's a reason why the Panama banks were a, a critical place to launder money for both the drug lords and the gun runners, but it was also Panama was for a long period of time a centralized location for distribution of both drugs and guns throughout Latin, Central, and North America under Noriega's ruthless rule. People suspected that Noriega was behind the assassination and the, the death of his own prior president of Panama who helped bring the Panama Canal back to Panama. That is who Manuel Noriega was. The problem was Manuel Noriega was a U.S. source dating back to the late 1960s and early 1970s when he had been approached by U.S. Uh, intelligence in Panama while he was just in military school. He became a critical source of U.S. intelligence throughout that entire time period. So when he went AWOL, he went off the reservation like Saddam Hussein did in the late 90s, the, uh, the net effect of it was that the political infrastructure here had to punish him. And so Poppy Bush, who had previously been head of the CIA during a time period in which Manuel Noriega was an informant for the CIA while working for the Panama government, needed to crush him. So we had the invasion of Panama and the arrest of Mr. Noriega. And the big question at his trial was going to be whether Noriega could, Noriega could defend himself against the allegations and accusations by pointing out that he was actually on the CIA's payroll while he was doing the things he was accused of doing in a U.S. court. Well, so they needed someone from the U.S. legal system to cover for Manuel Noriega, to make sure that Mr. Noriega could not report on the crimes that he did at the behest and the behalf of Poppy Bush and the CIA and the deep state. In steps Robert Mueller. Mr. Mueller would help, man would help manage and micromanage and supervise that prosecution and convince the federal judge to not even allow Mr. Noriega to tell the truth in his own defense, to not even allow him to voice what in fact was the reality and the facts and the history was that he had actually been working on behalf and at the behest of the CIA and other members of the deep state infrastructure when he was running guns, when he was running drugs, when he was involved in various criminal illicit activities that put Americans' well-being at risk. The, once Mueller satisfied that objective, this was the third time he had helped fix the deep state's problems. Whitey Bulger in Boston, then BCCI, then Mr. Noriega. Then Poppy Bush lost his re-election bid, and Bill Clinton came in, and Mr. Uh, Mr. Robert Mueller went off to cash in and make millions of dollars in the private sector. He was there for a couple of years when he took a peculiar resume path. He then went to the became an assistant prosecutor, not a, a head prosecutor, not the not a not a chief of any division of a prosecution unit. Now he'd gone from being one of the top people at the Department of Justice, making lots of money in the private sector to becoming a low-level assistant in the Homicide Division in the District of Columbia. It seemed a peculiar and unusual transition. Now people would note later that, in fact, he could have, potentially, 
had the jurisdiction and authority to pursue deaths that happened in the Clinton administration during the time period that he was at the District of Columbia office. He did use his time there to, uh, to argue for the cover-up of various FBI agents and misconduct that took place in Waco, Texas, as was later documented and detailed by Mr. Barr's book. Mr. Mueller used his connections to lobby for there to be a cover-up and no further action taken, adverse employment action taken, to any of the agents that led to the death of those people at Waco. But he not only did that, whatever he did at this low-level position while he was in the District of Columbia's office, two things did not happen. There was no investigation into the death of Ron Brown. Ron Brown was the Secretary of Commerce under President Clinton when he became under federal criminal grand jury investigation, and his own mistress turned rat. And the issues was whether Ron Brown, who was known as sort of the bag man for the Democratic Party for many decades, uh, who got his name to fame originally through Reverend Jesse Jackson and then became a political fixer, such that it led him to be the Commerce Secretary in the President Clinton's cabinet, that took an uh, unusual commerce trip. Usually you don't take a commerce trip to develop tourism or to develop uh, commercial relationships in a country that is in a war zone. But that's what happened, apparently, to Commerce Secretary Brown, when he was flying over a war zone and his plane went down and the black box was never found, there was the possibility, if the District of Columbia's office had chosen, where Robert Mueller was now working, to investigate that as a potential homicide. It was never investigated. Nor was did the District of Columbia office meaningfully exercise any discretion or authority to investigate another death that happened under somewhat suspicious circumstances, in the case of Vince Foster, the White House counsel, who reportedly had all of the secrets of the Clintons uh, in his own mind. The, after that happened, the next extraordinary thing in Robert Mueller's career took place. Mr. Mueller then got a promotion, a transfer, by the Clinton administration. Here's a Republican, high-ranking Republican, 30-year Republican, only appointed by Republicans, highly well-connected in Republican political circles, gets a Democratic president to nominate him for one of the most prestigious gigs in the entire prosecutorial arena, to be the head prosecutor for the Northern District of California in San Francisco, the second most plum gig outside of the Southern District of New York for any politically ambitious Democratic lawyer. Why did Robert Mueller go from being a low-level District of Columbia prosecutor suddenly to getting this prime gig under a Democratic president? It's never been explained. Then he goes to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of California, where another one of his peculiar cases takes place. Towards the end of his term, there was a raid by local state officials uh, in a California state prosecution, county prosecution, of the son of a famous science fiction writer, Mr. Asimov. When they did their raid, they found not only what appeared to be child pornography, but also the ability to make and create child pornography. The, the story started leaking out to the local press by the, by the police officers who were shocked and horrified by what they saw. Within about a year, year and a half, two years, suddenly all of a sudden the feds swoop in and Mr. Mueller takes over the case. He will wait about a year or so until the case quietly dies. Mr. Asimov will see no time in a federal prison. He'll have his own equipment and everything returned to him. Within a couple of months of that deal getting done, Mr. Mueller had a new nomination. He was made the FBI director under George W. Bush. It is my uh, honor to nominate Robert S. Mueller of California to become the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. In fact, he was made FBI director very soon before 
the next big deep state scandal would occur, 9-11. So there had been suspicion wow. and some theories for some time that Mr. Mueller used Mr. It's also convenient, to isn't gain it? Mm-hmm. access to names of identities of individuals who are high profile and politically connected who had been involved in either the production or purchase of child pornography. Whether it's true or not is still unknown because it was never fully investigated or vetted. The congressional committees that oversaw Mr. Mueller's appointment to the FBI chose not to ask a single question about it. Once Mr. Mueller got to the FBI, within weeks, 9-11 occurs. What is Mr. Mueller's first action and reaction? As is well documented in stories like The Looming Tower and others, the ground agent of the FBI was giving notice to their hierarchy that there were serious problems afoot, including, in fact, key-ranking members of the FBI's anti-terrorism division were reporting serious concerns. The FBI ignored those concerns on the seventh floor of their political hierarchy. So there were FBI agents warning about people learning to only take off on planes and not land, people who were using FBI informants in San Diego and Southern California who would end up being one of the 21 pilots or people involved in the terror events of 9-11, the, or at least alleged or accused to be. And in addition to that, there was concerns about all of bin Laden's connections, family and political and financial connections, of people that were here in the United States at the time of 9-11. What did Robert Mueller do? Well, first, he helped many of the key people that were connected to the Saudis and connected to the bin Laden family to escape the United States without any meaningful investigation into them, with secret uh, flights out during a time period in which no flights were actually supposed to be allowed at all, least of all for potential suspects or persons of interest with knowledge and information that could be relevant significant to the investigation into what actually happened at 9-11. But it went beyond that. Mr. Mueller did a massive cover-up campaign to make sure that nobody would find out for almost a decade that the FBI's ground-level agents, their field agents, had been documenting and detailing concerns that the seventh floor had stayed quiet and moot about. Indeed, one of the key FBI agents who was documenting problems, was the head of security at the World Trade Center and died that day. So much of his information went with him. And Robert Mueller would spend the next better part of a half a decade. I'm going to pause it right there. So on Hulu, there's a show called The Looming Tower. Mm-hmm. It's I believe it's 10 episodes or something like that. I just watched it. It's one of those series that I actually right. made time to watch. And... We're going to do a whole fucking think tank on that. Um, but uh, it's pretty fascinating. What I want to say real quick, though, is uh, this guy is the literally the fixer for the deep state. He's the deep deep state fixer. He's He's been there to cover up and prevent investigation or to guide investigations certain ways, to basically cover up every major Everything. event yeah. in the last... Going back to like the Oklahoma City bombing and the yeah, Ruby Ridge, Ruby was on Ridge. There. and we've yeah. done three think tanks specifically on each one of those topics. Mm-hmm. This is the guy that fucking helped cover all that shit up. That's crazy. I mean, he he is your deep state fixer, mm-hmm. and it continues right up till now. Yeah, just keep watching. We'll, we'll watch it. I know you have to go here, but we'll watch up to that point, and then you know. Covering up what he knew and other people knew. It's fascinating. I didn't act upon for political reasons or unexplained. We'll have to stop it and continue Mueller next time. Mueller has confronted this mounting evidence, and he's candidly admitted what we all now realize that today we can't say for sure 
whether the 9-11 attacks might have been stopped if all the dots had been connected and all the leads been followed. And I commend the director for the candor of his recent statements. That would not be the end of Robert Mueller's role as a deep state fix-it man. He would not only be an FBI director under George W. Bush, Barack Obama would continue the bipartisan role of Robert Mueller as a deep state fix-it man and allow him to continue on as FBI director even after he took over. During this time period, Robert Mueller would take critical steps to cover up anything that could implicate high-ranking members of the FBI, our law enforcement, or intelligence branches, or what is loosely or colloquially known as the deep state. President Trump hasn't even been in office a full year yet, but that hasn't stopped the deep state from waging an all-out war against him. The Democrats are working together with the deep state to discredit the duly elected president of the United States while ignoring their own crimes and misconduct. It's a form of a coup. This is very dangerous for our country. I regard the Mueller example as the deep state at its very worst, and it worries me a great deal. This has reached crisis proportions without a doubt. Members of the deep state, and these are rogue elements in the permanent bureaucracy. The deep state now working overtime, working to subvert President Trump and his entire administration. This is how the deep state operates. They did it to me personally uh, as a member of Congress when I was the chairman of the Oversight Committee. Mm -hmm. I had the Secret Service, more than 40 agents dove into my background because they wanted to embarrass me. And this has become a super authority that now has more power than the President of the United States, not envisioned by the Constitution in any way, shape, or form. Why the hell should we put up with it? Had someone come to me a year ago and said, this is what we would be dealing with now, uh, I really would have thought of it as a conspiracy theory. Uh, but what we have seen take place over the last 18 months in the federal bureaucracy has been nothing short of a wholesale repudiation of the election and an effort by entrenched bureaucrats to overturn it. The people in the deep state, they do not like transparency. They don't want accountability. They don't want to be called on the mat. And when a disruptive personality like Donald Trump and his team come along, they want to flee. They don't like the sunshine. They don't like that. Are there forces in the United States that are more powerful than Congress, more powerful than the president of the United States, more powerful than the president and the Congress combined? To get in the leadership, uh, it's not, you don't earn your stripes. Uh, that was one thing that uh, I had made a decision even before I went to Washington and while I was there. If I had set my goal as to become chairman of the banking committee, uh, I would have had to sell my soul, really, in a certain way. You do exactly what they tell you, you raise a lot of money, and it costs a couple million now, it's probably five or ten million dollars to deliver to the party, and you have to do that by kowtowing to the powerful special interests, mainly the military industrial complex. The term the deep state would in fact originate from an 1860s, 1870s economist writer who simply called it the dual state, trying to explain the phenomenon to where democratic forces had less and less control over the day-to-day -day operations of government. At that point, it was sort of loosely or colloquially called the administrative state. But in its law enforcement and intelligence branches, where people were obtaining power and unable to be removed or their policies changed no matter what happened in the elections, led to the phrase deep state. It would be popularized and colloquialized again by a group of scholars from Germany in the early 1930s who were trying to explain the rise of fascism. They began to understand what fascism was about and where it came from based on this dual state notion. 
that increasingly there are people who controlled military, law enforcement, and intelligence branches of government that were immune from democratic forces, that were removed from the democratic process, that they stayed, like J. Edgar Hoover, no matter what happened politically, no matter who controlled the House, who controlled the Senate, who controlled the Parliament, who controlled the presidency of any government or the prime minister, the prime minister of any government, that in each case and in every case, the political powers that be that control the, the equivalents of the CIA, whether here or overseas, uh, the high-ranking Defense Department individuals, the high-ranking law enforcement people, people that should have been political appointees and subject to the political process, were increasingly their own government. Hence the dual state notion, another state outside of, independent of, separate from the democratically controlled political process. And that became known as the deep state in the late 60s and early 70s, originally an idea initiated and brought about by the political left to try to explain the way Hoover was able to operate independent of political process, the way the CIA was able to do coups or MKA Ultra, independent of and separate from the political process, and whether that political process is the press and public knowledge or the political process is the legislative body that were supposed to be controlling their funding and overseeing them, or the executive branch and the elected head of the executive branch themselves. There's a reason why a general like Eisenhower voiced his concerns in 1959. He was witnessing the dual state, the deep state in action that was so powerful that even a general, former general, and a president of the United States felt he could no longer control them that he needed the public to be aware of their activities so there could be more electoral and democratic, little d, democratic control of the dual state, deep state operation that was entrenching and institutionalizing its political power, using its control over the intelligence infrastructure, the military infrastructure. This is fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. Like, it sucks that I have to leave because... Well, if you can give me five extra minutes... Beyond the time you said you had to go, we can literally get to the, we can finish the video, at least for the listeners. Fuck it, go, 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 go. And the law enforcement infrastructure and the blackmail and extortion files that they were able to acquire and acquisition through that in order to achieve and obtain their power and to keep and protect and preserve that power at all costs. Mr. Mueller understood the deep state, had been its key advocate, had been its key protector, had been its key enabler throughout his entire political career. The family heritage that he inherited of protecting privilege and power was extended to the dual state and the deep state during his tenure, both as a prosecutor and as FBI director. So when he is FBI director, not only is he involved in issues related to 9-11 cover-up of FBI whistleblower activity that was suppressed by the seventh floor hierarchy, but in, in addition to that, he will later protect the second level of bank money laundering allegations for rogue states, for drug dealers, for terrorists, for, uh, for people running arms, for people running drugs, and that would be the HSBC case. So HSBC would come under scrutiny because it was the bank of choice for Mexican drug cartels and the bank of choice for various terror-running operations, just like BCCI was the focus in the early 1990s. Once again, Robert Mueller would step they in. They like them banks the with four letters. His intervention mm -hmm. would be to limit HSB's prosecution to just some criminal fines, protect high-ranking executives from any degree of exposure, and make sure that its role as a deep state facilitator and enabler of corrupt activities around the world would be covered up and hidden. Nobody within the hierarchy of the intelligence infrastructure, the law enforcement infrastructure, the defense infrastructure of either here or around the world would be implicated by the HSBC scandal, thanks to the role of Robert Mueller. Mr. Mueller wouldn't stop there. Mr. Mueller would help cover up the IRS Tea Party inquiry. 
That began when the IRS began to target people simply because of their association with known 501c3s or 501c4s, which are public charities and foundations that engage in public activity. They targeted those associated with the words Tea Party or the words tax protester. They targeted these individuals for harassment, for audit, for selective prosecution, uh, for investigation, for politically motivated censorship and shame campaigns with imprisonment as a potential option, or possibly bankrupting individuals as purely based on their political affiliations and associations. Who came to the rescue of the IRS's corrupt activity, despite multiple IRS commissioners taking the fifth and refusing to produce their own documents and deleting and destroying emails and other relevant records? Robert Mueller. Once again, he would cover for the IRS's role as a tool of the dual state and the deep state to harass those they consider their ideological or political adversaries, who can be either on the left or the right. Mr. Mueller wouldn't stop there. When the uh, FBI and the DEA and others became involved in a very questionable activity of trying to control guns and trying to control guns by actually spreading those guns to Mexican drug cartels, known as the Fast and Furious scandal, when those guns ended up being used against U.S. law enforcement personnel, who was the person to cover for two different attorney generals who either refused or were in contempt of Congress based on their failure to testify and their omission of relevant records? Robert Mueller, while he was director of the FBI. Fast and Furious, covered up. IRS Tea Party, covered up. HSBC, covered up. BCCI, covered up. Noriega, covered up. Whitey Bulger, covered up. The Asimov case, covered up. But we're not done. <laughs> Another critical person involved with high-ranking political individuals who appeared to be involved in basically prostituting and pimping out underage minor girls to high-profile political celebrities and other people, including allegedly royal family members around the world, Mr. Jeffrey Epstein, was under prosecution and investigation when he was exposed for his nefarious conduct in Miami and New York uh, during the time period that Robert Mueller was the director of, FBI, of the FBI. Mr. Epstein would get a very strange, sweetheart deal that would be covered up for the better part of half a decade, thanks to the activities of Mr. Mueller. And later, rumors would spread and stories would document that, in fact, it appeared Mr. Epstein acted as an informant for Mr. Mueller, basically providing him sort of a blacklist that he could blackmail or that he could extort or that he could have special information in to protect the political prerogatives and prejudices of the dual state deep state that he had long been a loyal servant of. Uh, Twelve years is a long time to do anything. Uh, and I guarantee you that Bob's wife, Anne, agrees. Today, as Bob prepares to complete his service, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to, for all of us as a nation to say thank you uh, to Bob and Anne, uh, but also gives me a chance to announce my choice to be the next director of the FBI, Jim Comey. So that's the legacy and the history of Robert Mueller. So when he was appointed as a special counsel by Mr. Rod Rosenstein, with whom Mr. Mueller helped introduce to political power more than two decades before, everybody that knew anything about the deep state, dual state history, or knew anything about Mr. Mueller's history, knew what was going to be coming down the pike, knew what was going to happen, knew what was going to transpire. They could preview it, predict it, forecast it in advance. And what they could advance is they could say that this will be used to cover up all of the illicit spygate activities that took place when the Obama administration's hierarchy weaponized the use of the FBI, weaponized the use of the National Security Agency, weaponized the use of the CIA, weaponized our Five Eyes ties to be able to spy on the Trump administration, to be able to spy on members of the Trump campaign, to spy on anyone with distant political viewpoints within six degrees of separation of the Trump campaign. It's important to understand what a Title, uh, Title I FISA warrant does. FISA was a, was a way in order to prevent 
is what it was supposed to be, uh, supposed to happen. It was supposed to prevent illegal spying by the U.S. legal law enforcement authorities over domestic Americans. So that's why it was passed in the 1970s as part of the post-Nixon, post-Watergate reform era Congress to help provide some standards and some supervision and some judicial oversight and some legislative rules to regulate the misuse and abuse of the power of the NSA to spy on domestic Americans. One of the first people that the National Security Agency spied on was a little-known senator at the time, Frank Church, from Idaho. Mr. Church would reward the NSA for their activities by opening up the and creating the Intelligence Committee of the United States Senate, which at the time was a select committee, not a permanent committee, after the Nixon reforms of 1974 through 1976. And it would be Senator Church who would detail and publicly document for the first time in the public arena the involvement of MKUltra, the attempts to control people's minds, the experiments that took place on unwitting people like young Harvard student Ted Kaczynski, which would lead him to become the Unabomber, the, the horrifying and terrifying activities of our own government and spying on our own citizens, using them as medical experiments and guinea pigs, doing nuclear testing outside Las Vegas, Nevada, and failing to dis and actually encouraging people to go out and have a picnic while they watch the atomic bomb activity testing take place. Horrifying things that our own high-ranking political officials knew could lead to the premature early deaths and, and pregnancy problems and other problems for people and health uh, issues that would arise from their exposure to that nuclear radioactivity. And yet nobody did anything about it and covered it up. And they were able to cover it up because of a lack of independent press during the time period, the lack of organizations like InfoWars exposing and documenting and detailing and raising questions that, don't, that other people, that the establishment press, that the corrupt political actors do not want to be asked. That didn't really meaningfully exist in the 1940s and 50s and 60s when the government was testing, uh, using African-American veterans to test certain medical experiments, uh, using Americans in Las Vegas to test radioactivity experiments, using MKUltra to, on Harvard students, uh, young math geniuses, to test uh, the various mind control experiments. All of these things would be exposed by Senator Frank Church and the Church Committee, thanks to his uh, willingness and readiness to get back and retaliate at the NSA for their illicit spying activities on him many years before. The, in addition, the death of J. Edgar Hoover exposed the degree to which Hoover was involved in illicit activities and monitoring and surveilling not only Americans, but also doing it in such a way to where he was doing breaking and entering activities, B&Es, where he was doing trespass activities, illegal wiretaps, where he was sending bogus mail to people like Ernest Hemingway to try to induce a state of mental paranoia in Hemingway uh, because he considered Hemingway a political uh, oppositional figure his alleged involvement at various levels, either in the cover-up or complicity with the death of high-profile public figures such as Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, and John Kennedy. All of these matters ended up being exposed at various levels by the Assassinations Committees and the Intelligence Committee. That was at that point a select committee meant to supervise, govern, regulate, restrict the activities. What came out of that was Title I of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, what is known as FISA, which has its own special court that was supposed to supervise, regulate, restrict, constrict, govern the activities of our intelligence agencies when they try to monitor domestic activities of Americans. Unfortunately, that's not what ultimately happened. A Title I FISA warrant is extraordinarily powerful, and it was used for the first time during a political campaign in 2016. The way in which it was used was they used it to uh, go after people that were connected within six degrees of separation of President Trump in his campaign.
The way a Title I FISA warrant works is it not only allows you to monitor in real time the emails, the text messages, the phone calls, the computer activity of its target. It, it allows you to actually go back in time because the NSA is gathering all of this information and archiving it. it a Title I FISA warrant allows them to go back several years and look at your prior text messages, your prior emails, your prior social media activity, your prior Internet searches, your prior phone call logs, uh, your prior phone call records. Uh, in addition, it does what's called a three-hop rule which means a Title I FISA warrant allows the government to look at anybody within three degrees of separation of you and to repeat that for anybody that's within those three degrees of separation. So in the case of the illegal FISA warrant issued against Carter Page, the goal was they knew Carter Page was within three degrees of separation of Mr. Trump. They could monitor Mr. Trump's emails, Mr. Trump's text communications, Mr. Trump's social media activity, Mr. Trump's uh, online Internet activity by its FISA warrant against Mr. Page because Mr. Trump was within three degrees of separation of employment or activity to Mr. Page. This allowed them to look at Paul Manafort. This allowed them to look at other Trump campaign aides and associates uh, and anybody within literally three degrees of Mr. Page who he'd ever talked to or communicated with and any person they had communicated with or talked to. To give some idea of how this works, what's called the three-hop rule or what's called three degrees of separation, is Mr. Page talks to person X. Person X talks to person Y. Person Y talks to person Z. A FISA Title I warrant allows them to not only look at Mr. Page, but to look at Mr. Page, look at Mr. X, look at Mr. Y, and look at Mr. Z, even if Mr. Page has never even talked to Mr. Y or Mr. Z. That's the power of a Title I FISA warrant. That's why it was so critical to doctor and document the file to make it look like they obtained all their information through a FISA Title I warrant because of its potency, its power, its scope of surveillance. It's both macroscopic and microscopic in its effect. Uh, it also was a very effective tool and means to cover up what was likely illicit activity previously laundered through the Five Eyes. So the United States has a relationship with the United Kingdom and Australia and other governments to share their intelligence surveillance. One way you can do illegal surveillance on an American is to have a foreign government do it for you as part of the Five Eyes arrangement. It's laundering the intel, making it look like, oh, the U.K. just shared with us this important intel about us, when really it's the U.S. spying on itself and just disguising its source and origin and literally laundering the information through their foreign relationships in the Five Eyes time. That's why the U.K. and Australia keep popping up in the Russiagate story, because the real Russiagate story is the Spygate story, the story of the United States weaponizing its intel operation, using its Five Eyes relationships to launder bogus uh, surveillance, illicit surveillance, inappropriate surveillance on a political adversary meant to share and spread that information as a disinformation campaign against the, pre the future president of the United States of America, Donald Trump. Mr. Mueller was brought in as a deep state fix-it man to cover all that up, to legitimate it, to justify it, to verify it, to authenticate it. That many had to manufacture charges that didn't exist. That's why so many of the charges are process crimes, after-the-fact crimes, crimes that only exist because the investigation exists, and crimes that never took place during the campaign. The extraordinary thing is the complete incapacity or inability of Mueller to find any criminal activity by any member of the Trump campaign during the campaign on behalf of the campaign. Instead, it's all been activities that either predate or postdate the campaign, often postdating the investigation itself, often only existing because of the investigation itself, because the goal is to create a smokescreen 
that effectively masks and disguises the real role of Spygate by Mr. Mueller's friends within the deep state and to keep them from being meaningfully supervised or monitored or managed by the new Trump administration or their criminal or illicit activities publicly exposed. Russiagate, in the end, is just Spygate in disguise by Mr. Mueller, who has spent a life and a whole history dedicated to serving the interests of the deep state and the dual state while disguised as an American patriot. So there's that. It's fucking nuts, dude. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't discuss what we just yeah, heard. No. Um, but at least you've heard it. So talk amongst yourselves. And until next time, Dave. That's it. to the Detour Podcast Network on iTunes and don't forget to rate and review while you're there. You can also download the Stitcher and Podbean app to your device for free and search Detour Podcast Network and subscribe. If you enjoy listening to the shows on the Detour Podcast Network, then spread the word to everyone you know. Your word of mouth is our best advertising method and we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.
Do you have a question, comment, or concern? 872-242-8311. Or maybe you'd just like to hear your voice instead of ours. 872-242-8311. Then call the D2R Podcast Network hotline at USA Chat 311. That's 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. No matter the time or day, you can call 24-7 and operators will be standing by. 872-242-8311. Your call is important to us. 872-242-8311. So once again, USA Chat 311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. Hello, everyone. If your guy or girl's got some facial hair that's kind of not smelling right, not feeling right, not all that great, go to phoenixbeardoils.com today. We've got scents that every guy and girl will like. Every kid likes to play with your beard. Why not give them something to smell nice as well? Go to phoenixbeardoils.com and give somebody that great bird today. everyone, check out all the great deals on Amazon by first going to d2rpn.com and clicking the Amazon banner. By doing so, you're helping out the D2R Podcast Network. Don't forget to tell a friend and thanks for listening. <laughs> 